Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. If you like what we're doing here at CanadaLand, you can join us by going to canadalandshow.com slash join and signing up to become a monthly supporter. Five bucks a month, and you will get ad-free versions of this podcast. It takes just a few minutes to do, and we can't do this without your support. So check out canadalandshow.com slash join. It's also in the episode notes. Alberta's United Conservative Party government and its premier, Jason Kenney, have a war room. Maybe you've heard of it. It launched late last year with a $30 million budget. Wars aren't cheap if you want to win them. And who is the enemy that this war room has in its crosshairs? Well, sometimes it's journalists or environmentalists, but really it's anyone who goes against the party line that Alberta's only chance at economic prosperity is reviving the oil industry and returning it to its former glory. And the main weapon of the war room is words, reports, statements, tweets, and articles like a Green New Deal makes no sense for Canada. In February, these words didn't seem to be winning the war for fossil fuels. 
Protesters were blocking rail lines across the country in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en fight against the natural gas pipeline Coastal GasLink is building through their territory in northern B.C. Some of the blockades went on for weeks. CN Rail canceled hundreds of trains and laid off 450 workers, blaming it on the protests. Hysterical news headlines warned of spiking gas prices and dire economic consequences. In Alberta, the two blockades barely lasted a day. Counter-protesters tore down the one in Edmonton as the court delivered its injunction against the Indigenous-led protesters. Still, the blockades clearly got to Premier Kenny. A few days later, he made an announcement. Albertans will not tolerate this kind of lawless mockery of our democratic principles and this uh, attack on our nation's and our province's prosperity. That is why today the government of Alberta has introduced in the legislature Bill Number 1, the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. Bill 1 effectively makes protesting illegal. Under Bill 1, getting arrested for participating in the day-long blockades that happened in February could have cost you $10,000 in fines and the possibility of real jail time. And say a blockade were to go on for 10 days. Under Bill 1, you could be charged for each day you participated, racking up a possible fine of more than $200,000. Even as coronavirus spread through the country and replaced the blockades in the headlines, Alberta's government pushed to turn Bill 1 into law. The UCP's energy war room budget got slashed by 90 percent as lockdowns and closures slowed the economy. But there was a bright side to the pandemic, according to Energy Minister Sonia Savage. Now is a great time to be building a pipeline because you can't have protests of more than 15 people. (laughs) And the Alberta government had grand aspirations for Bill 1. Here's Justice Minister Doug Schweitzer offering up the piece of legislation as a template for jurisdictions across Canada. We're calling on justice ministers across this country to take a new approach to justice, to make sure that they are vocal in their displeasure with these types of protests, to make sure that they also hopefully interact similar legis- or enact similar legislation across from coast to coast. The war isn't over yet. I'm senior producer Kasia Mihailovich, and today, freelance journalist Activist and newest Canada Land contributor Grace Lisa Scott joins me from Calgary to tell me about Alberta's latest front in the oil war. Wait for it. This episode was brought to you by Ross McCauley, Jennifer Goldie, Jazzy Wiggins, Jennifer Holland, Alex Burke, Kelly Sheehan, Natalie Weeb, and Andrew Work. I'm Andrew Work in Hong Kong, and when I founded a publication, Harbor Times, Canada Land podcasts were my go-to on the craft of how to be a journalist. And since then, I've listened to every podcast religiously. I love Canada Land because it gets me under the skin of the country that I come from and love so dearly. So keep it up, Canada Land. Oh, yeah. And I am loving the socks. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. 
It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Grace, why did Bill 1 catch your eye and why does it interest you so much? Well, I came across a news article about Bill 1 in late May. And given the mass protests that had just started happening at that time... The idea of Bill 1 felt totally ridiculous. George Floyd was killed by police on May 25th in Minneapolis. And Regis Korchinski-Paquette died with police in her home two days later in Toronto. In big cities and small towns across the states and in Canada, Black Lives Matter protests were bigger than ever. A massive demonstration on the streets of Toronto this afternoon. Thousands of protesters marching from Christie Pitts all the way to Queen's Park, rallying for justice in support of Regis Korchinski protest. It all started with a rally earlier where more than 10,000 people gathered at the Alberta legislature in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Shortly after, protesters filled the streets of the downtown core. And here in Alberta, the government was pushing an anti-protest bill. But Bill 1 wasn't a response to Black Lives Matter. It's just a jarring juxtaposition that happens to be a coincidence. It was conceived back in February in response to Indigenous-led protests in solidarity with Wet'suwet'en. People were blocking rail lines across the country, and there were two blockades in Alberta that both got shut down within a day or so. But for Jason Kenney, who had already been criticizing the national blockades in the press, I think these attempts within the province was like the final straw. So what is really in this bill? Okay, so its full title is the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. And the bill makes it illegal to willfully enter, damage, or obstruct any space that the Alberta government has defined as critical infrastructure. So this designation can cover public or private land, and the definition of what actually counts as critical infrastructure is worded so broadly that it appears to cover almost any space, like roads, sidewalks, and bridges. And what's the punishment? 
You can get fined between $1,000 to $10,000, and you can receive up to six months in jail, or both. Plus, over time, these charges add up. So every day that you're out protesting, those individual days count as an additional offense under Bill 1. Also, worth noting, after the first offense, the fine can actually be up to $25,000 per day. $25,000. Okay, so this is to send a message, right? Because it's already illegal to trespass and destroy property. Yes, but Premier Jason Kenney was obviously interested in creating a harsher and more punitive law for these types of acts of protest. And he said as much when he introduced the bill. Therefore, the government tables this legislation to strengthen penalties against those who would uh, lawlessly uh, trespass upon or jeopardize public safety by seeking to block critical public infrastructure. Uh, It increases the dissuasive effect of law against those who would seek to hold us all jeopardy to their radical demands. And Mr. Speaker, I'm pleased to table this bill. So back in late May, Bill 1 hadn't become law, but it was expected to pass quite soon, and it was not really getting a lot of press. I think this is largely because once the pandemic happened, it got buried among so many other things that were happening. Right. That's pretty understandable. Totally. And, um, you know, even though that was the case, I still found it really alarming. So myself and a couple of friends on our own time, we built a really simple website that had information on Bill 1 and on what Bill 1 entails and the details of the legislation and how you could contact your MLA to oppose it. So did it work? Uh, well, (laughs) from an educational standpoint, yes, because we got a lot of folks to share the graphics we made. And I know that people reached out to their MLAs using a letter template that we created. But the bill still passed into law on June 17th. Please say aye. Aye. all those members oppose? Since then, I've been talking to Alberta grassroots organizers and other experts about Bill 1. And I've actually realized that this bill has more destructive potential than I even initially thought. One of the people I've spoken with is University of Calgary law professor Lisa Silver, and this is what worries her about Bill 1. This law is not just protecting or defending critical infrastructure. What it's doing, it's silencing people because it is so overbroad in its purpose and effect that it's capturing legitimate activities that are essential to our free and democratic society. Lisa explained just how broad the definition of essential infrastructure really is. Essential infrastructure is defined in specific ways under the definition section of this act. It includes a a vast array of infrastructure, everything from pipelines to processing plants to highways. Now, highways are defined as any thoroughfare, street, road, avenue, parkway, and can include sidewalks, boulevards, and adjacent ditches. And therefore, the concern is, again, that essential infrastructure, even though there are specific uh, buildings and structures connected to this act, it is broadened out by the fact that it references highways that can be sidewalks that we all stand upon and that people use for lawful protest and lawful assembly. So how does the government justify stopping people from protesting on city streets and sidewalks in other public spaces? Well, they 
don't really. So I listened through the legislative session where MLAs defended the bill, and I didn't hear any concrete explanation as to why the bill need to be so sweepingly broad. But here's a quick recap of what some United Conservative Party MLAs had to say. The eco-terrorists affected jobs across our, our province. And, and, and we have to understand that, that many of these uh, rail cargoes are actually highly volatile, highly dangerous uh, products. These blockades do nothing but aid our oil exporting competitors across the world, oil dictators. And by introducing Bill 1, we will continue to penalize criminals who take money from the pockets of Albertans and put it in the coffers of brutal dictators like this. Uh, and, and when we allow people to um, just willy-nilly go out and damage rail tracks, it, it puts whole communities at risk. Um, I've been quite surprised and honestly quite concerned to see this new generation of woke protesters who are going to rail lines, burning things, and doing TikToks on, on rail blockades while farmers are losing the ability to take their goods to market. Like, what kind of world do we live in when governments and opposition stand idly by and think that that is acceptable? Wait, wait, what? wait. What is this <laughs> about TikToks, Grace? Okay, so I didn't understand what Michaela Glasgow, the MLA for Brooks Medicine Hat, was referencing there either. But then I found a TikTok that Jason Kenney had reposted to social media. It's showing students from a UBC climate justice group doing that really famous TikTok dance. And Kenny writes under it, middle class teenagers doing TikTok dance videos on a railway. They're partly responsible for the blue collar railway workers that got laid off today. The ability of thousands of families to pay their bills is being compromised by this type of juvenile virtue signaling. Enough is enough. Okay, that's pretty hyperbolic and a lot to put on a bunch of college kids. But obviously this bill is partly to stop stuff like this. Apparently. And for an overwhelming majority of Albertans to have their opinion, their democratic rights squashed because some foreign-funded eco-radical... I have to choose my words carefully there, Madam Speaker, because it really makes me angry. To come in here and dictate to us what our prosperity will be because of the feeling they had that day or a paycheck they're receiving from Greenpeace, I have a problem with that. So they're talking about protests led by climate justice groups like Extinction Rebellion or, I guess, Greenpeace, apparently. And they're accusing protesters of threatening the jobs and livelihoods of regular, upstanding Albertans and doing them just for the likes. They're also claiming that they need to stop foreign-funded eco-terrorists from disrupting our economy. But the solidarity blockades in Alberta were local and Indigenous-led. I spoke to Nigel Henry Robinson, who is an organizer with Indigenous Climate Action and the Beaver Hills Warriors, who are based in Treaty 6. Treaty 6 spans part of Alberta, and Nigel is from Cold Lake First Nations. He was part of the Edmonton blockade in February, and he told me why blockades are the target. It's because sometimes they work. You know, uh, that day that the rail blockade happened here in Edmonton, it was said that over $11 million worth of freight was held up. And, you know, that's one of the only languages that the premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney, understands is when money gets hurt. And that's why that tactic is utilized. And it's very effective. You know, this bill, um, some people can see it as a huge um, deterrent to our community's um, methods and tactics. And some people can see it as a uh, success. And, you know, when these bills come up, they're often fought. And when they're beaten, 
we turn the dial just a little bit on living in a more uh, just society. And, you know, that's really what we're fighting for. And hopefully we can defeat this bill as well. So what are the grounds on which Bill 1 could be challenged? On the basis that it violates the Constitution in that it comes into conflict with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So I got a much needed brush up on my charter knowledge when I spoke with Lisa Silver, because the way that Bill 1 is worded, it seems it could interfere with a lot of charter rights. At least five, if not more. Lisa went through this methodically, starting with Section 2, which is kind of the freedom of section. Section 2B, which is freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression. It protects any activity that conveys meaning. So peaceful protests and their location of where they want to convey this expression, that is protected under Section 2B. Section 2C is freedom of peaceful assembly, the right to physically come together. There's also Section 2D, but you get the idea. Protest is pretty well protected by the Charter. And how we come together on 2B, 2C, and 2D is through our group protests, group demonstrations, any time that we come together to express our opinion, thought, and belief. Then Section 7 lays out in what ways the government is allowed to use laws to curtail your right to life, liberty, and security of the person. Because there can be laws that can restrict our liberty, but these laws need to be clearly defined. They cannot be vague and they cannot be overbroad. And finally, we've got Section 15, which says that we should have equal protection of the law and that law cannot discriminate. Uh, Bill 1 restricts expression, assembly, association, and liberty, but it targets or can disproportionately affect particular groups that have these equality rights protection. Indigenous peoples, Black Lives Matter, disabled, the gendered, and also the poor, who use public protest often as their only avenue of reaching the government and giving or letting the government know what their opinion is. And Nigel's critique of Bill 1 goes beyond how it violates charter rights. It's not just like un- unconstitutional as far as the Canadian Constitution goes. It goes against the inherent rights of Indigenous peoples to stand up and protect our own lands and territories. Um, a lot of the First Nations, even the ones who are pro-oil, um, I've heard mutterings from their community members and from their chief and council um, saying that they are against this bill. Even if you sign up for a pipeline or an oil project in your community, your community members still have the right to access their territories. And this bill completely scraps that. Marlene Poitras is the regional chief for the Assembly of First Nations in Alberta. She's also against Bill 1. It raises questions in terms of what rights do we have according to this bill. It doesn't really give us any rights because I did speak to the um, Minister Wilson, the Minister of Indigenous Services in Alberta, and uh, asked him that very question. You know, a lot of First Nations have critical infrastructure running through the reserves. and, And so if they were to protest on the highway, how would this bill apply? And he says, well, this bill applies to 
everywhere in Alberta and affects everyone. And But uh, the argument is still that we have jurisdiction, we have treaty rights, and uh, those were not even considered. Grace, were you able to put any of these problems to members of the government who championed and voted for Bill 1? Well, I tried, like, pretty hard. Um, I went through a list of the MLAs who vocally supported the bill in the legislature, who we just heard from a moment ago. Four directly declined to an interview. Two, as well as Jason Kenney's office, just never got back to me at all. I did receive an email from Justice Minister Doug Schweitzer's office. He is the one who introduced the bill. And that email said, unfortunately, no one can speak to you about Bill 1. Wow. No one. No one. (laughs) No one at all. But they did provide me with a statement, which reads in part, We recognize that a small group of vocal individuals believe that they should be able to arbitrarily and indefinitely block bridges, railways, ports, and highways used by all. The overwhelming majority of Albertans and Canadians do not share this view. Minister of Indigenous Relations Rick Wilson and Minister Schweitzer will continue to work collaboratively to ensure that input from Indigenous and Métis Albertans is heard and are scheduling additional outreach to provide additional information and discuss the concerns being raised. No, I I did not have any consultations with anyone. They didn't have any thoughts about uh, First Nations jurisdiction and their traditional territory. Or, you know, they would have at least tried to consult, maybe, but or or they just didn't didn't care. I got another statement from the Indigenous Relations Ministry, and it says that Bill 1 does not restrict inherent treaty rights and that Minister Rick Wilson has spoken to the Grand Chief of Treaty 6 and that he was planning to meet with the Treaty 8 chiefs to address concerns. Now, this turns out to be kind of a half-truth, Um, When I talked to a spokesperson from Treaty 8, they confirmed that Rick Wilson did attend a general meeting last week with Treaty 8 chiefs. But according to him, it wasn't specifically about Bill 1. Treaty 8's position all along has been that Bill 1 violates treaty rights, and that hasn't changed now. And at that meeting, Chief Alan Adam of Athabasca Chippewan First Nation presented Mr. Wilson with a 30-day timeline to actually rescind Bill 1. If they don't, Treaty 8 is planning to pursue legal action. And like we just heard from Regional Chief Poitras, consultation with First Nations as an afterthought is not satisfying anyone. You know, historically, government in Canada have used legislation to silence, constrain, and marginalize First Nations. You know, First Nations have jurisdiction within their traditional territory, and anytime anything impacts treaty rights, it triggers a duty to consult and you know, the, the bill has been silent on the critical infrastructure that runs through First Nations reserves. And in this case, uh, there was no consultation. The treaties are supposed to be the supreme law of the land here in so-called Canada. And um, traditional use of our own lands and territories is part of that. So this bill is, it's inherently racist and it's inherently targeting Indigenous peoples. Nigel used this anecdote when we were speaking, which I thought was really useful because it implies the concern and suspicion that folks might have when they learn about Bill 1. There's a famous example from my community of, you know, there's a gated off area and there's like a pump jack in behind it. And there, there's 
elders from my community who wanted to go and pick berries in that area, as they have done ever since time immemorial. And there has been times where people have cut the fence, walked in, and continued to harvest their berries. And under Bill 1, these elders who are out there picking their berries, they can be arrested and put in jail for six months. And that's that's like a, a simple example of um, how this bill can be utilized. And folks who are trying to like hunt in certain areas that are that are crown land that Indigenous folks are allowed to hunt in, you know, folks who are doing high tanning and, and utilizing their traditional ways of being, they are at threat when we look at this bill. The bill is the law of the land now. So yeah. what happens next? Well, on the charter front, the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees has actually decided to launch a charter challenge against Bill 1. They say that it inhibits their members' ability to properly engage in the collective bargaining process. How so? Well, Guy Smith, the union's president, told me that although he believes that Bill 1 is targeted at Indigenous land defenders and environmental groups, his organization is concerned about how it could also affect unions' demonstrations. What we see contained within it is something that can be broadened to really clamp down on any demonstration, uh, any picketing, uh, any gathering of, uh, of folks who are protesting against the government's actions. And of course, that's a major concern to us as a trade union. So it's uh, something we took very seriously. And obviously, we believe it will not hold up in, in court uh, based on a charter challenge. Uh, so we did start that process. We recognize it's a very lengthy process. We recognize that we may not get any relief from the courts for potentially years. Um, and this is part of the, the strategy that this government uses. It knows that it's, it's likely going to get challenged in the courts, but it doesn't care. It, 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 by, by the time it gets through the courts and say, say the Supreme Court makes a ruling, the damage is done. So uh, although it's important, as I said, to file uh, in the courts and protect legal rights, it's more important that workers stand up uh, together to, you know, to take this, this law on head to head, quite honestly, in, in the streets if necessary. So what we could see happen, right, is that people will get charged under Bill 1 when they protest or form future blockades. And that might provide a faster avenue to argue the legitimacy of Bill 1 in the courts, right? But there's also a significant risk to trying this strategy. We haven't seen it tested in the court yet, and the court could still rule that it is a legitimate law, and whoever has been arrested under it would then still have to suffer the punishment. Right. So there is still potentially this chilling effect right now because folks don't know what will happen if they get charged under Bill 1. And you're really rolling the dice when it comes to the consequences. Grace, the government is looking at at least one charter challenge led by the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees, which is going to make its way through the courts. And then there's also possibly legal action from Treaty 8 and whoever else decides to take this to the courts. Is this how badly Jason Kenney wants to discourage any kind of dissent targeting the oil industry? Is it worth it? Yeah, I would argue that the oil industry is what got us here in the first place, and more specifically, the province's relationship with the oil industry. And it is definitely a major factor in why we have Bill 1. When Jason Kenney ran for Premier of Alberta in 2019, he campaigned with a three-word slogan, which was, Jobs, Economy, Pipelines. Keep in mind, Alberta has actually been experiencing a recession since 2014, when the price of oil crashed. And 
Since being elected, Jason Kenney's party has continually insisted that a rebounding energy sector is basically the answer to every economic problem in this province. So in a way, Jason Kenney has bet everything on oil's ability to rebound the province's economy as well as his party's reputation. How is this working out for the UCP? Well, in March, Jason Kenney's first major move to inject a stimulus into the economy was to announce that the government would be funding $1.5 billion towards the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline. And that is slated to be followed by a $6 billion guaranteed loan in 2021. This received a lot of criticism, largely because Keystone XL has been stalled for like a decade. And around the time that Jason Kenney was announcing this large stimulus, it was announced that construction of the pipeline itself in the States was going to be stalled by the Supreme Court, which is kind of in an indefinite question mark zone at this point. In April, we witnessed the price of crude oil go below zero for the first time in history. Since then, you know, oil's rebounded a little bit. It's nowhere near the overly optimistic value that the UCP had been counting on when they took office. And now Alberta's unemployment rate is currently sitting around 15 percent, and that is the second highest in the country. I think the UCP feel very deeply that what got them elected was a mandate to push through pipelines. So in the face of this terrible recession, protecting and growing the oil sector has become even more important and just as important as actually protecting and growing the oil sector is showing that they are committed to doing this. And a piece of legislation like Bill 1 makes for great political theater. Has this political theater been effective then? Are Albertans buying it? I think that Bill 1 does appeal to a small, hardcore UCP base here in Alberta who are generally older and far more right-leaning in their politics. And so a tough-on-crime attitude that will punish unruly protesters is going to appeal to those people. Um, But for Guy Smith and for other organizers, I think that Bill 1 is fighting words. Quite honestly, like most things this government has has done, it hasn't created the fear that they'd hoped. It's actually created more anger uh, amongst workers in particular and obviously other parts of civil society that wants to stand up for its rights, whether it's uh, land rights, uh, indigenous rights, environmental rights, and certainly from our perspective, workers' rights. Nigel pointed out that the instability of the oil and gas industry has taken a toll on people here. And that may be what pushes the province towards change. And there's so many people who have clung very closely to this uh, this like petro-state nationalism. Um, and they're really starting to get shook up. And, you know, that's okay. And we really need to uh, start being more accepting of the fact that the future may not have oil as a part of um, Alberta's economy. Jason Kenney's government is not working in a way that is allowing for a sustainable and uh, like a green economy in the future. But Jason Kenney's government is just over a year old. They just had an election. And if Bill 1 shows anything, it might be that Jason Kenney is not shifting course, like he's digging his heels in. Yeah, that's totally true. But I think more than anything, Albertans are eager to get out of this recession and to get back to work as soon as this pandemic is over. So 
That's why we're seeing more and more public support for diversifying the economy in order to do that. Jason Kenney is the only premier in the country that hasn't really gotten a bump in the polls during the pandemic. And I wonder if he would be more popular if he was more focused on solutions rather than drumming up punitive laws like Bill 1. That's your Canada Land. If you like the show, you can get it ad-free for five bucks a month by clicking on the show notes or going to canadalandshow.com slash join. Jesse will be back next week, but you can always email him at jesse at canadalandshow.com. He really does read them all. Or you can tweet us. We're on Twitter at canadaland. Our website is canadalandshow.com. This episode was produced by me, Kasia Mihailovich, and reported by Grace Scott. She's on Twitter at Grace Lisa Scott. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.